0: This is Ian Freebairn-Smith, and on behalf of the board, I welcome you to another ASMAC podcast. What you're about to hear is a recording of one of our monthly luncheon presentations recorded at Catalina's Jazz Club in Hollywood. These podcasts feature leading Hollywood composers, arrangers, orchestrators, and musicians talking about their lives and music. And now, Marlene, hey, June is going to introduce our speaker of the afternoon. And are you in for a treat? Marlene. She's a treat, too. Oh, I love when I can kiss the introducer. Uh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome, everyone. Today, our guest speaker, Conrad Pope, is a um, very well-versed composer conductor, orchestrator, and also now arranger, I can say I could add to the list. And he started at the New England Conservatory of Music. He studied with Gunther Schuller, among others, but I'm sure he was a, a very, uh, well, had an influence on Conrad. And also in Germany. Yeah? Did you study in Germany? I studied in Germany, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as a comp- as a con- uh, an orchestrator, he's currently working on Star Wars, uh, but also this year he has uh, to his credit Polar Express, and um, that's with Alan Silvestri, right? And Troy with James Horner, and um, let's see, also the NBC promos with John Williams as well, and. Uh, I think of him as a consummate composer. I know he doesn't take vacations. I try to get him to, but. um, And he's recently commissioned by the Spokane uh, Symphony to write an orchestral piece, so that will be a. That's why he's a consummate composer. He's always working. So may I introduce Conrad Pope?
2: Thanks, Marlene. Um, uh, Yes. It's a pleasure to be here and I really um, thank you all for inviting me to talk and share some of my experiences. So I hope that uh, I can prove to be suitably entertaining. I was told I should probably give a little bit of my background. Um, First and foremost, um, uh, let me say that uh, I've been very fortunate in uh, my work here in Hollywood but this was not what I set out to do like many people. I think. Uh, This was a, uh, I always refer to Hollywood as the foreign legion for musicians, or at least in where I am, and certainly on the orchestra stages and everything, and you always, whenever you go to any recording session, you look at the orchestra and you keep wondering, what crime did he commit that landed him in Los Angeles? Why isn't he back in Germany or England or what? And so, um, I will start to try to give you an idea of some of my crimes that landed me here. Um, and Marlene said, "I should talk about my background I, uh, I am uh, as one of the promos says that was written by a publicist classically trained and um, and that meant that basically uh, my great uh, goal in life uh, from time as a reasonably small kid was to be um, a concert composer and that 's what I trained for, and that 's what I uh, did but uh, being a good American kid as well. That also meant that there was a fair uh, smattering of really bad jazz playing in my background from the time I was a teenager on, and when I went to the New England Conservatory, one of the reasons I went there was that Gunther Schuller um, had set up a pretty progressive program uh, for mm, for all kinds of music, not the least of which was um, uh, the jazz department. And I uh, did my performance in the jazz uh, department there and uh, played with uh, the only. Uh, it's it's really funny when. I, Harvey Mason, if you can picture Harvey Mason and me <laughs> t- together in the same group, yeah. I'll tell you one thing is that um, the one of his friends, Stanton Davis, I once took a solo and I remember Stanton looked at me and he said, be a plumber, man, be a plumber. <laughs> and so with that, I thought, well, that's, that sort of says it all right there. And um, and so from there, I basically, uh, you know, I graduated, and I did um, went from there to uh, the Hochschule for Music in Munich, where I studied with a gentleman named Dieter Acker, who was a very good um, uh, composer in ways, and blah blah blah. And then I went from there to Princeton University, where I had a master- I got my master's degree, um, and was offered a job to teach theory and composition. Um, before I got my doctorate at Brandeis University. And that's when uh, my first step toward joining the Foreign Legion began, is when I took that job to go and uh, teach at Brandeis University. And uh, I did that for eight years, uh, throwing myself wholeheartedly into uh, you know, uh, to what I did. And I didn't get tenure. And then that set me on a path west. I went to uh, Wisconsin where I taught uh, composition there. And I'd grown up out here. And, uh, and uh, I, I thought, well, I had a, a, a grant from the New York State Arts Council to write a piano concerto, and I thought, you know what, screw New York, I'm going to move to L.A. and see if I might be able to reinvent myself. And so, one of the reasons I never talk about my background, I'm just giving you a thumbnail sketch here, I don't want to bore you too much, is because I learned a very important lesson once I got to Hollywood, is that I put up a resume and I started to try to get work, and I'll just, I, I won't even use initials. I remember one time I tried to get a job orchestrating for a very great TV composer. And I remember I sent my materials off, waited, called, very nervous. He picks up the phone. I said, this is Conrad Pope. Have you received my materials? And he said, yeah, I was reading your resume. And I was sitting there going like, I can't believe somebody that went to Princeton University is calling me for a job. You know what? I didn't get out of high school. I can barely read the treble clef. And look at me. I went to little, little, little. And it just kept going and going and going. And I remember sitting there going, one, I learned two things that day. One, never try to talk to anybody uh, about music that can't read the bass clef as well as a treble clef. Okay? Very important lesson. That's what... And the next thing is that the next time somebody said, hey, did you go to school? I said, yeah. <laughs> and they said, where? Back east. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, the first time I was sitting there thinking, this is exactly, uh, and that's what I loved about the place, is that I didn't have to relive my, my past um, uh, failures due to my own hubris in the concert world. And I could just sit there and meekly take on any job at all. And as long as you've had your ego death, which I think I sufficiently had, I found this to be a remarkably welcoming place for me to do other people's work. And so that was how I basically got my start in the business. And so um, it it sort of built from there. And I can truthfully say, uh, the the great uh, the great gift um, I've had is to uh, work with many 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 people, and um, and I've been able to uh, enjoy having a life in music. And so uh, my background didn't quite take me to where I thought it was going to, but to quote a line from a movie uh, that I recently worked on, The Polar Express, Tom Hanks said, "Remember, the important thing is." Not where the train's going, but just getting on board. And I kept thinking, I'd never tell my kid that. You know, I mean, that, that, that's, know where it's going, okay? You might, you might end up on the phone with somebody that can't read the bass clef. And so, um, I, I sort of then, uh, once I got to, I mean, that was about 16 years ago. I, I'm getting to an age where time sort of stops. You know, it's, I, you know I, right now I've got to turn the, uh, the glass over. So I've been here basically 16 or 17 years, I guess it is. And, um, and I can truthfully say, um, as I, if, you're more, if you're interested, in that, I can tell a bunch of other stories. Um, I basically, I always say I, I started working at the bottom of the bottom, uh, tried to work my way up to the top of the bottom. And uh, then once I did that, I was uh, taken uh, pity on by uh, a gentleman, Arthur Morton, who was Jerry Goldsmith's um, orchestrator and um and arthur was sort of my mentor in getting my life going so to speak at the um, what one might call the bottom of the top and um and that led me to be introduced to uh because and, and it's actually uh, it's, it's sort of telling for anybody out there that is a, a composer or orchestrator is that i remember he said well I'm, you know i listened to you, uh, arthur said i listen to your compositions and i can't tell you what to do as a composer young man but I wasn't that young. Uh, but he said, I do know something about orchestration. And he said, I think I can tell you what you should do to get ahead in that field. And, uh, and he gave me some very sage advice at that time, uh, which was that uh, an orchestrator needs a good set of ears. Not for music. That's a given. If you don't have a good set of ears, you shouldn't be doing this in the first place, right? So he didn't mean that. He said, always listen to what the composer's telling you he needs done. Always understand what he needs and you'll always work. And so that was the best advice because I immediately put away the notion of saying like, wow, wait till they get a load of this. And like I've always um, said, My, uh, my advice to every com- uh, orchestrator or composer or anything: the moment you're ever working on something, and you sit there and you've come up with this new way of using multiphonics in a Hollywood score for bassoon, and you're sitting there going, "Wait till they get a load of this!" Walk away from the desk, put the pencil down, because <laughs> you're about to be blacklisted. <laughs> you know, the next time you sit there and you go, "Have I got a counter melody that? Uh, sure, it's better than the real melody, but..." Once they once hear what I've done, it will reveal to the world what I'm capable Walk away from the desk because you're there to help people, not create problems. And so um, at that moment I, I started uh, working my way up and I, I, got, I started working with John Neufeld who's another one of my mentors and, um, and worked with uh, James Horner and John Williams and I've been a very, very fortunate person to have worked with all those gentlemen and all the rest of them that you've seen. Listed on whatever my bios are, and um, and you know, and it's really a great pleasure to be up here today talking because um, you know, with with peers and people that, that can understand some of the stories. Because I see one gentleman that's sitting in the audience right now that I won't mention the name of, but he always reminds me of one of my favorite stories with John Neufeld, and I'll only mention John Neufeld in my name in regards to this. It may be a motion picture, many um, many 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 years ago. There was, and one of the composers, there was a picture uh, called Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And somebody said, um, <clears throat> John Neufeld is meeting with John Williams, I'll use those two names, and, and because this is good. And um, John Williams said, how is it possible for someone to write 120 minutes of music in three weeks? And John said, you hire somebody else to do it for you. And John said, I could never do that. We were working for another composer at the same time. John went to see this guy. The guy was going, geez, how's it possible for this guy to write 120 minutes of music in three weeks? And Neufeld said, no, he hired somebody to do it for him. And this guy, this composer thought for a second and said, that sounds expensive. <laughs> and right there, that was the moment of where you see the two sides of the town. And luckily for me, I found a lot of people that are more of the uh, persuasion of, that sounds expensive. Because that's where the real work is, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, that's, and so in any case, uh, that set me on my path of working for all kinds of people. And I've uh, been able to see the business change from uh, people that used to uh, basically write lead sheets, perhaps, to people that now use only computers. And there are even terms of uh, mouse composer and all the rest of this that uh, people on my end of the business still uh, use. And so maybe, can anybody like to ask me a question? Because I'm sort of running out of my own self uh, congratulatory (laughs) junk up here. Yeah. As I tell every young person, may I take my coat off? Now you know my name. Okay, thank you. Is that you can actually have a, a great career in this town if you can do three things. And Arthur Morton told me this too, and I always remember that. That's why I'm always early for everything. He said, show up on time, because if you're late, they're going to start wondering what else the hell you can't do. Not good, right? So show up on time, do good work, and keep your mouth shut. And what you find out, everybody's so talented here, they can do at least two of those things. (laughs) And it's it's that third thing that they can't do. They can't shut up. They can't stop having that great idea about the multiphonics on the bassoon and letting everybody know that they did that. You know, that kind of thing. So, no, actually, I, um, I'd had my ego death, and I also learned that actually, the way to be the most interesting person to anyone that you ever meet is to shut up. It's very simple. You'll become the most brilliant person any composer ever met if you just sit there and go, this is, this is all you have to do. In fact, uh, I always love that uh, John Neufeld once told me, he said, you know what, uh, Conrad, it, we, it took us five years before I ever found out you had an opinion. <laughs> That's true. And so I think that it's very good to, they don't hire you for your opinions. They don't hire you to be told a joke. They hire to, uh, sh- to show up and have them bring down a baton and have everybody on that stage sound great, have the music sound great, have the director Swoon and keep us all employed, because this really is like working on board a ship. Is how I view it. Is that it's um, you've got an obligation to the guys on the on the stage to sound good, because they're trying to put kids through college and buy a car and have a house and all the rest of that. It's up to you to make sure that the whole team uh, succeeds in this business where you're always trying to guess somebody's favorite color. That's what I, you know, the director or whomever. And you have to realize that, uh, you know, they're not there to have a joke. I mean, it's one of my favorite scenes out of a movie is, um, is a Scrooged, I think, with Bill Murray where they show, um, Bill Murray comes on the set and he sees his secretary and the secretary's brought this little kid with her, him, her, her niece or uh, nephew rather. And Bill Murray runs over to his secretary and said, what's that kid doing here? And, and, and she goes, well, I thought it'd be great for him to see how much fun it is to be on a, on a TV set. And Bill Murray says, look around you. Do you see anybody having fun? And everybody's, uh, they pan and everybody like this. And so, yeah, this is not a business to have fun in. It's a business to uh, make the music, make everybody uh, uh, sound good, and then come to functions like this and uh, tell a few jokes and blow some steam off. And so, cause, uh, yeah, because no, I don't have um, I, I don't. I don't have bad stories. like so Yeah. Oh, sure. But you know, the, no one's paying me for my damn opinions. I and they don't need it. And I'm. And look, I, my other thing is that look, if if what I thought was so great, I'd be further ahead in the game myself. And so you know, maybe it's uh, much better because one of, on one of my detours is that I don't mind saying it as I see another friend in here, uh, two friends actually. I used to uh, to get started at the bottom of the bottom of the top. Well, actually this is how I got started in the friggin' bottom of the bottom, too. Is that uh, one of my things that I, I don't mean to offend anybody. I always say that Hollywood's an inverted pyramid of that. It goes from there are more composers than there are orchestrators, then there are copyists, then there are proofreaders, then there are takedown people. And what's really great about takedowns is that the way how you can get, so I tell everybody that gets me a call, you go, I want to get started in the business. And you go, like, why? Why don't you, you know, leave now? You don't want, you really don't want to do this. Uh, But if you may, if you are successful, call me, okay? Um, um, I, I sit there and go, one way to get started is that what's great about doing takedowns and sound alikes is that you're just like the friggin' musician on the stage. It's either right or wrong. It's either A or A flat. There's not, there's no room for discussion. There's no room for BS. There's no room for, well I know it should be A flat, but that's such an obvious choice. You know, you, uh, you can't sort of sit there and, and keep spinning out the story of your own inadequacies into this fabric of this invincible cloth that you wear that you sometimes find with being able to compose and that's why at the very top you're selling sunshine in many ways. And so the way how I got started was that everybody sat there, and certainly at the bottom, is that I remember I didn't know what union rates were, okay, when I first got started. I sort of knew what they were, and I was working for a TV composer that's now even a bigger TV composer. And they had to have all this stuff taken down and made to sound like. And so <clears throat> they gave me this stuff, and I went home. I saw them the next day, and I was so stupid I didn't even know what a copyist was. When I, came, I mean, honest to God, there's, there's no dumber person. And I was a grown man, okay, but I was really stupid. And not that I've gotten that much more intelligent. Yeah. But I, cop- I'd, I had um, taken this thing down, copied out the parts. It was a choral arrangement on one of the things. So it was a gospel stuff. And I remember I gave it to the guy, and, and he said, well, how much do I owe you? And know, I said, well, it took me three hours and three times 25. That's $75. And I remember he looked at me. And I could just, now I see, understand why he's looking at me like, and he said, can you be here tomorrow? <laughs> and so, and I went, sure, you got more stuff? I was going, wow, 75 bucks a day, I can pay my rent, unbelievable, you know? And so, and hey, I'll get that phone I've been looking for. Um, <clears throat> And so that's how I got started because the thing is is that there's just something about uh, it's so impenetrable and so I do tell people if you can get at some point where the closest you are to write a wrong note, up or down, that's really, that's where the rubber hits the road here. And uh, through that I got a job over at Joanne Cain's and Joanne used me for takedowns and sound soundalikes and junk like that and proofreading. And then I went to what those of us that have been fortunate enough to have done something like this, which is at the very, very bottom of the business. I mean, when I tell people, well, I proofread, you generally have the reaction like, you're kidding. How could you possibly, that's an awful job. And I would say, and I always go like, yeah, you're right, it's an awful job. I got to see work by Eddie Powell, uh, by really uh, magnificent writers, and I got to see the work of Fools as well. And I got to have a whole, have it spread before me. The, the, the absolute uh, brilliance of this town and the absolute folly of it. Just, I mean, amazing, you know, people that you would sit there and you go, like, who'd you study music with? Charles Ives? You know, Christ, I mean, you uh, a key signature of a flat and a sharp. Well, makes some sense. To Bar Talk maybe. <laughs> you know. And if, no offense to anybody that's played any of the Ligeti piano etudes. I know those, too. Um, <clears throat> and so, What I found as great preparation for me is that if you have no ego, in a sense, and if you sit there and go, there's something to be learned from the very best, which there is. I mean, mind you, I I think of uh, my time with uh, those of us that have been there, call it JKMSU, Joanne Kane Music Service University, is that you see everybody's work in town. And that was a great uh, education to me. And then the best thing was that Mike Melvoin was there sort of uh, filling in, testing out his new material before he'd uh, go play a gig and he was proofreading and they, we had such a good time they put us off in our own office because all we did was talk and tell jokes. So uh, I knew my days were numbered then. (laughs) Thanks Mike. Uh, No. And um, and and so uh, like I do think that if you're willing to I'm just very grateful for all these experiences because again I didn't know where they were going to lead and it eventually led me to um, if I really like a composer I can always do what the good guys do and if I really dislike the guy hey well he deserves that one you know <laughs> I remember I remember that stupid voice and yeah he gets that no I'm joking you always try to do your very best work if <laughs> some other questions yeah oh yeah no well look I mean music is a thing that attracts all kinds of talents and it takes all kinds of abilities and all kinds of sensibilities to produce good great music I mean and you can have somebody that is an absolute Mm. Nowhere musician in a way. Uh, I mean, the great thing about I, I won't I won't mention the composer's name, but he basically said, if I may paraphrase him, without Alpo Computer, I wouldn't have a career. You know, that's and you know, you sort of go and God bless her. I mean, here's this guy that actually has no musical background. I've never talked music with him because he doesn't read the bass clef. In fact, I don't think he even reads the treble clef. But that's okay. He has he reads the dollar sign, which is much better than <laughs> any of those other clefs. And, um, and I would say that what you have to do, again, what's the challenge as, a, as an orchestrator or somebody uh, like myself that I view myself as being, um, because of my experience, I don't have a, uh, I try to, again, like Mr. Morton said, uh, I, I just want to get to this, is that I try to take every composer, whether or not he's got pencil and paper or MIDI or whatever, I sit there and go, what's great about what you do? And, I mean, when I say yes, I'm going to work for somebody, I don't say yes and go like, wow, am I working for a moron? If I thought that, I would never take the job. I always sit there and go, what's great? There's got to be something great here. There's always something great there. And it's a challenge for you to find it. And so I would say, yeah, so, uh, but now to get back to the point of your thing is that, look, I'm working for a guy that uses pencil and paper right now. And I prefer working for him because a number of things, a number of professional issues. namely. One, I'm working for John Williams. We're doing Star Wars. This guy knows how to sketch, okay? He writes all of his friggin' music. I don't have to do any of his work. I haven't been hired to do his work. I've been hired to do my work. My work is to sit there and go, two oboes, yes. Oh, maybe the core would be better here. but, But John has gone, I want some damn woodwinds on it. Okay, and this is what it is and don't add any damn notes and you know what, I don't need your help. I need your help to get the score out. So I'm sitting there just making sure and balancing the orchestra. And it's just a very high, it's a secretarial job. I like that, because I'm doing my job, I'm not doing his job. Then it goes from the gamut, because there are also pencil and paper people that basically go. You sit there and go. Uh, I'm reminded of Schoenberg's admonition to John Cage when he studied with him at UCLA, in which uh, Schoenberg, let me put this down. Schoenberg picked up a pencil and he said, "You know, you should use this end of the pencil more." <laughs> and so. And, of course, Cage, in giving this out, had had said, and he took that advice, and, of course, we have the uh, four minutes and 33 seconds of the thing. (laughs) But, you know, no, there are pencil and paper people that you sort of sit there and go, you should use that more. And uh, then there are people that use MIDI that have a very great idea of where, uh, with one guy, I always view myself as a um, Japanese gardener. Because one guy I worked for many, many years ago, this is when I first thought, he reminded me of, of a child, you know, like a four year old, you know, when they start to make a painting. And they sit there and they go, Mommy, Daddy, Brother, Sister, Dog, My Favorite Tree, The Family Car, Another Dog, Hey, hey, there's a the neighbor. And by the time you have this sort of nice composition, that by the time the kid has put it in all of his favorite things, it's like this friggin' finger painted mess that you can't figure out what the original intent was. And with MIDI, what that's made as possible is for a number of guys to always sit there and have so many brilliant ideas that you don't know which one to pick because it's just an embarrassment of riches. And <laughs> so one has to sit there and begin to sort of filter out and get an idea of what really works very well. And this one guy is a friggin' genius. Um, I, I don't want to ever work for him again, because like I say, I tend to like my geniuses dead, like <laughs> Mozart, Beethoven. Working for live geniuses can, I mean, it's just, it, God, you know, it's just, it doesn't pay that much. Um, <clears throat> the, but, there's a, uh, but there's one guy that does the MIDI stuff that's really great that I've worked for. I don't mind mentioning his name. I mean, the guy's just one of the most spectacular musicians, and it's so dead on, and that's James Newton Howard. James Newton Howard is a, re- a phenomenal. I mean, this guy's a genius. He's a remarkable, uh, has the, the most remarkable tonal memory I've encountered in town. And also is coupled with extraordinary facility as a keyboardist. And this guy, and he knows the orchestra and he hears so uh, precisely, uh, both harmonically and in terms of the orchestra. And this guy can just sit down and he just lays stuff over. You know how a lot of guys sit there and go, like, eighth note, click. Sixteenth, 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 click, click. And they step it in and then they go, now I have to copy that to here. James will do these incredible thirty second runs like boom boom. And he'll sit down and do it in the flutes. And then we'll play the same thing in real time against the violins. He doesn't copy. He just plays, 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 plays. And it's just, it's just remarkable. And the challenge there is to make it not, make sure that the orchestra sounds with this thing and and it's all there. And So he's as precise as John Williams except with MIDI. And uh, the only thing I would say is that it has gotten to the point where, like I said, there are things that people refer to as mouse composers where you get uh, people that work basically in Pro Tools and they give you stuff where (coughs) you have to transcribe everything, which is no fun. Trust me, it's no fun. Uh, you know, it's more fun to sit there and go like, oh, that's that chord and that's that chord that's that chord. Oh, Christ, now I have to write it down. Um, and so I would say that the, uh, the major thing that's happened is that it's made um, MIDI. It's like anything else. If the person actually has a musical education, has some idea about music, has some idea of the range of the violin, as opposed to the, uh, how far the sample goes on the, on the damn keyboard, um, <laughs> It, it can be a very wonderful gift and it's certainly a powerful tool for directors and, as well as composers to see how their music's living in the environment of the film that they're scoring. Um, but I just encourage everybody to basically have, love music enough to know a little bit about it. Because the more you seem to know about music, the more it rewards you. And to me it's more the, the question to me is that how can somebody be in music and not know more about it in a way or just see it only from their angle. Because one of the great things that I'd have to say as an orchestrator or as an arranger is that you have to see music from a lot of different angles. And you've got to have um, multiple personality disorder, in a sense, uh, at times. And, and really try to get into the skin of people. And that's also one of its challenges. Any other questions? Oh, well, no. I mean, uh, I, I view myself as one of these people that... Um, certainly, I love I loved to write my own music. And certainly, if I were being offered pictures to score, I'd want to do that. I mean, that's the first thing I would want to do. Um, but I'm also aware of, just like you said, the business of the town. I mean, uh, Pavilion had its own checkered career, not the least of which is that, um, uh, the person that green-lighted the project was suing Vivendi for $12 million, so Vivendi wanted to make sure that that person didn't have much of a, they wanted to say, like, see, they, they do crap. And so, they, and it went on to be successful in China and Asia, but, uh, not in this country. And so, um, and, you know, and I've, I'm very happy for Polar Express. I mean, I thought that was a really great, uh, look, uh, uh, and, and Bill Ross can testify to this, I'm sure, is that uh, there's nothing better than working for somebody like Alan Silvestri and uh, Glenn Ballard and the whole crew with Robert Zemeckis and all these people with uh, a film that they believe in. I mean, one of the things about this business that's so great that's about what we do is that we live in the moment when people have hope for what it's going to be. And and when you work with people, again, uh, and Bill can testify this about uh, Seabiscuit, I always think about how those people were like so into their movie. They loved their movie. And they had an idea of what they wanted that movie to be. And uh, I just, I think that those are some of the paybacks. That's all great. And as long as you can feel fortunate that I've got the skills and the abilities that allows me to sometimes participate. if If I can't write music, then I can sit there and try to help other people make it as good as they can get it. And so, um, again, I came here after my ego death. I wanted to be Aaron Copeland, but I grew up in a time when most of the people uh, that I studied composition with, and Gunther among them, you know, you'd sit there and go, like, well, I want to write music and make a living at it. And they'd sit there and go, don't be an idiot. Nobody, you know, you're not going to do that. You're going to teach. I remember when I went to Germany, you know, at the Hochschule, they said, so what are you going to do with this marvelous education we're going to give you? And I went, teach? And they said, oh, no, no, no. You're going to become a free artist. I went, like, yeah? What does that mean? <laughs> and, <laughs> and they said, Oh, well, you'll, you'll get this education, then we'll assign you to a radio uh, station and blah, 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 and you'll write music the rest of your natural life and, and drink white wine. And I thought, Sounds good. I'll take that. But, um, uh, but you know, I think that uh, what, what's been good for me here has been the, um, you know, that I have been able to use whatever talents I've got. Uh, since my first dream didn't sort of come true in a way, that uh, I do have things that people find useful. And so I just try to make the most out of whatever I get. Because if you don't, this will tear you up. I mean, if you sit there and seethe all the time about uh, what, you're, what you want to do and you're not doing and everything else, this, this can just kill you. And people don't need that either, you know. Uh, any other questions? Yeah? My favorite score I've probably worked on is, God, that's hard, because um, they're, they're so different. Um, but I, probably my, the score that I, I have a nominal uh, relationship to, again because of Joanne Kane, and that's what's remarkable, um, is Schindler's List. I guess that that's my favorite score that I have something to do with, but not, not orchestration, I was actually uh, used as a Yiddish expert, they said, they said yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? Uh, because they had all this stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they had all this stuff. They said, you know, we got all this stuff from Israel. And like, here's the Yiddish. And here's the music. They, What goes with what? <laughs> you know, and so I would say, well, oh, this goes with no, no, no. And so I had a minimal, but that's the, probably the favorite score I've been associated with, one of my favorite movies. And again, I probably won't meet most people's things I've had a little bit to do with was uh, Sea Biscuit. I, I just loved that movie. I just loved everything about it. I loved how it looked. I loved blah blah. I loved. It. I read. I'd read the book. I loved the people, and for some reason, I music. I'm not. I you know. I have no comment about the music in a way, um, but I do think that that's one of the best films. But I, look, I've worked on. A.I. A.I. is like my favorite. Yeah, that's right. I love that score. That's a great score. Because John always uh, seems to, what's great about working for somebody like uh, Williams is that you get to see a real musical storyteller at work. Somebody that really knows how to tell a story in music, how to find the emotion of a scene, how to accompany people, and how to uh, have a vocabulary rich enough that it really makes the movie just lifts it all right right off the screen and into your heart. Um, a movie uh my girlfriend and I saw recently, um, Sideways. Well, you know, God almighty, the best music in it was by Bill Evans. And doesn't even get credit. You know, and my girlfriend said, that's Bill Evans. And I was going, yeah, well boy, yeah, because suddenly the, the harmonies seemed to go where they were great and nicely voiced and there was really good notes and and the strings came in. And before that, it was sort of like, vamp, bam, 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 vamp. And you sometimes wonder if there's a place for uh, the music like people like me like to work on, like we like to work on real substantial music. It's a lot of fun when uh, you sit there and you go like, God, how did that guy think to put that note in the bass? Because I know, I mean, I, always, I used to think that when I was a kid with Beethoven. You know, I'd think about uh, like the Seventh Symphony of Beethoven and, and just go like. Christ, how did he think to get to there from that or just juxtapose that? And that's really one of the payoffs here is when you work for people that just surprise you and not with well, how little they're going to pay you. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, but with, with what they do. So AI, that's a thank you for my, because it's, I'm getting old. Did you do, Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, I worked on that. That showed a whole different side of uh, Oh, yeah, well, it already. Well, Piano yeah, and, and and also the terminal, just an extraordinary uh, score, and uh, you know, and, and it's one of those things of where you know somebody would say you know talking about what a wonk I was, they were uh, the the sort of beautifully voiced uh, jazz days, uh, the sort of taking me back from when I was a kid. It was, uh, um, you know I, I was telling some somebody about when uh, uh, this summer we saw G- Gabriel Yared, and Gabriel's this very poetic guy and Gabriel was saying, "Music is my mother, you know and, which I just love, and, and sort of there are moments like with the terminal score, you can sit there and listen to those harmonies and go, "Hey, that reminds me when I was a kid, I remember my mother this, uh, there's something really uh, beautiful about the vo- uh, harmonic vocabulary, and then of course, I had to say." Uh, yeah, well, if it wasn't a jazz-themed score, it wouldn't have that in it. That wouldn't be what John would do, that John's always matching the picture and everything. But uh, we have gotten to a point where uh, the music I work on for a lot, if it's not John Williams and it's not um, a lot of guys, it, it's not a lot of fun. Because uh, right now we seem to be in the new dark age of film scoring, in a way. Um, and we'll see where that goes. All, right. All I know is that I've got to go with it. That much I, I, I do advocate. You know, always go, i got bills. I've got, got dreams, hopes, plans. And so I do that. Yeah, somebody else? Dave. Yeah, uh, I was just wondering, i got to say, I was very disappointed uh, when I went to the Hochschule in Munich. Um, because, uh, you know, God, i got some story. I mean, yeah, but that, that isn't about music, is it? Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. About <laughs> uh, no, I, I remember. Uh, I, you know, I went out. Um, they gi- they give you a series of tests, and I think that this is also this is a whole other area about musical education that one can get into. Um, uh... But you know, I remember I was sitting next to this Austrian girl who wanted to study organ, and we we're sitting out. and we We're going to take our theory test. You know, and oh, how are you? How are you? Blah blah blah. And she then says yeah if I don't pass if I don't pass these tests I'm gonna go kill myself and I went yeah I'll, I'll join you let's go drink ourselves to death ha 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 and then I realized she was serious She said, no this is my last chance if I don't make it and I was going God you're out of your mind but it was very very serious for for her and for the other people and what I noticed is that if you took these tests and if you passed all the tests guess what you didn't have to take a friggin class it was like unbelievable and that's one of those things where it's you know they they base your um, what i did is i just studied piano you know when i you know I, I they gave me a theory test and i remember these fellows uh... sitting down and the theory test was all at the keyboard and they had a little theme, and you had to improvise a theme, and then, okay, well, now can you uh, go to convincingly to a second subject, and blah, 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 and what would you do for it? And so go, and I was going, oh, I don't know. And but the, uh, what I won't say is that a family friend had taken me out before for lunch and had gotten me uh, totally plowed with booze. And then uh, he was a doctor, so then he gave me a bunch of amphetamines to knock me out of it. So I was sort of flying high, you know, and I was going, oh, this is all great. And, you know, and they sit there and. Uh, uh, then they give you an ear training thing and you take down all that junk and they dismiss you and then uh, I didn't have to take a damn course. So how would I contrast uh, America with, and I gotta tell you, I, I re- I'll say that even at New England. I mean I showed up there and I basically only had like one year of instruction because if you can do certain things in music, people assume you know what you're doing or you know something. And that can uh, be, the, that, the, you know in my case that certainly wasn't the case. I mean, the only time I ever learned what the hell I was doing is when I finally got a job teaching. And that's what I did at Munich. In fact, one of the things I had to do is I had this Polish guy. This sounds like a joke, and it's not. And you know, please. And said, you know what? This guy's got to write some motets. 16th century counterpoint. Um, You know that. Yeah, you know, I failed that three times. No. Um, I'd study, when I grew up out here, maybe I should say this, Um, Hitler's gift to America. Was some astonishing musicians, you know, people that I studied with from the time I was a little kid, and of, of course I didn't realize it. I just thought they talked funny, right? Because you know, as a kid, you're sitting there going, like, where'd you learn to talk? Are you from Kansas? No. Um, <clears throat> and so I'd study with a, a student of Hindemith's here, you know, who had under, unfortunately written a, an opera based upon. Um, uh, you know Fitzner wrote a, the the uh, opera Palestrina. Well, he wrote one called Beethoven, which I thought was misguided from the start, the idea of having a principal character that's deaf, it's. <laughs> okay, helden tenor. Um, but uh, you know, is that uh, I'd studied all these things, and so uh, I was assigned to this Polish kid to teach him sixteenth century counterpoint. And I just remember sitting there, and it was like a joke. I mean, I I would try to teach him, and he would just keep going, fantasy, fantasy! You know, and I was going, calm down. And And then he would get very serious. He said, you don't understand. First, you have discipline. And you learn this discipline, because then you break it. You break the rules. And you open up this whole new world of fantasy, fantasy! And I was going, God almighty, calm down. But it was of this era in which you know, there's this notion of that I will become very strict and know everything. And then I will become an iconoclast and shatter the expectations of the world with this new way of putting music together. And I was god almighty. So that's how I would contrast it. It was great to uh, sit around and make music with people. They were some great musicians. I think the brass players should not have smoked so much dope. Um, <laughs> Uh, they really had terrible brass playing, I would say. The string playing was qu- quite wonderful. And, um, and let's see, and then the other thing I want to say is that, frankly, most of the things that have put me in good stead here, in, fir- in terms of my career, I've got to say, is that, uh, generally, I would say my musical education up to the age of 16 has helped me far more in dealing with Hollywood than anything I learned at any of the rest of these schools. Now then, I will say, <coughs> um, for me as a a person as a musical person I have my own interests my own things that were developed perhaps by that education but you know what they don't have anything to do with my daily grind here or even some of the music I'm really interested in now and so uh you know the major thing like I'm I'm on the board of advisors for the um, New England Conservatory at this point I mean, <laughs> you know so <laughs> yeah, good. Um, and But, you know, like I always tell them, I mean, the major things that I think are of, are of use are play an instrument well enough to have played with people and good have good ears. Those are the things, that's, you know, and everything else, hey, it's gravy. Because you know what, 16th century counterpoint, uh, I like it, but, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, most of the people I'm working for, you know, like I said, if they don't even forget the alto clef, you know. I mean, these guys, they're not reading, you know, you sit there and go, yeah, you know, you're just not, uh, so, um, God almighty. So I yeah, so I would say the major thing is to love music and uh, and get it in your ears and in your heart. Yeah. Somebody else? Anybody else? Yeah, Ken? Is there anything you want to do that you haven't? Yeah. Like Oh, yeah. I mean, there are tons of things. I mean, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons to show up every day on the job if you're lucky enough to work here is that, um, uh, you know, it's not just, uh, you'd like a chance to write for all kinds of orchestral stuff and uh, do things. Um, but, you know, I would just say every project's different. It's always different. I've found, uh, you know, Polar Express was different than Troy. I mean, Troy is different than Harry Potter, the Star Wars, even with John, it's that's, Uh, Different, Or if you're working for Danny or any of these people, it's always, always different. Every day is a different thing. And so there's a lot I want to do, but I think the best thing is that I'm allowed to do something. And maybe what I want to do I'll find in these other opportunities. But it is hard to uh, maintain, uh, you know, a career as a composer is a much different thing than a career as an orchestrator slash arranger slash general slave, you know. Um, and uh, and it takes a lot of time that one has to devote to that. You know, if it's something you seriously want to do, that's what you should really pursue in a different way. Um, I think. Uh, well, you know, I could go into the whole. I mean, it's it's like one of those things of uh, you know, like one of my relatives. Of what's the old saying? You ask them what time it is, they'll tell you how to build a watch. <laughs> and uh, and I I'll um, I'm I'm afraid. I mean, I can sort of pinpoint it, but I suffice it to say. I, as a young person, I was, I, you know, and I, for what it's worth, I was very, very, very lucky. But as a young person, I didn't realize I was lucky. I thought, you know, uh, like Gunther was always very good to me. And I, you know, look, I mean, I was, I was with Gunther Schuller and a bunch of big, big shots um, um, in American music. I, and I really thought, well, um, I just had too big of an opinion of myself. That's what I would say. And I had too much hubris about what I was doing. And uh, from that led to uh, some very misguided steps and some uh, heated words with some very important people and a bunch of stuff. And so uh, I suddenly went like, this ain't happening for me. And I thought, join the Foreign Legion. Go back. I knew a mu- I'd grown up with a music editor there's out here, and I remember, like I say, if I had known then what I know now, I would not have come because she said, Oh, they need all kinds of musicians. And I was thinking, Oh, they do? No. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, that's what happened. It's, uh, I just uh, wasn't very careful with my career, and I didn't realize that I was, a politi- I was being, um, uh, I was just fortunate to have no friends and be- no people in high places, so to speak. That's very important here now. If look, if I had had Hollywood first and then gone to the concert world, I'd have a much different uh, set of opinions about everything. So, because you know here, you know I'm I'm fortunate to know the people I do know. But it was about I was like about 33, 34 years old when I figured that was not going to work out. So, any more sadness?
0: It's all worked out fine. The
2: saddest thing is
0: that.
2: Stop talking. Yes, well thank you so much thank you.
0: thank you for listening to another ASMAC podcast. We welcome your feedback at ASMAC.org. This is Ian Freebairn-Smith on behalf of the board and I would like to invite you to attend our events, including luncheons, master classes, and our annual Golden Score Awards banquet. For a complete list of our podcasts and DVDs, please visit our website at www.asmac.org. Many thanks to Larry Goldman of Balboa Studios for recording this talk, and to Elliot Barker of Elbar Media for editing it for broadcast.